Okay. This will be a bitch to edit. <laughs> okay. We had to get our energy in check and re-record this intro because we started out. <laughs> we recorded an intro for this and it was the most just low energy thing. But luckily this amazing interview today with Megan Bruno really sparked a new fire in our day. And I feel like she gave me a whole mood change, a mood yeah, turnaround. Definitely raise energy. We both had <laughs> difficult weeks, just like, eh, like. Yeah, we were so out of it. Allie was, Allie was saying episode seven. We will <laughs> insert that clip, insert that clip right here of Allie saying episode seven. All right. So if you've been listening to our podcast at all, you know that we are very into therapy and we are excited to welcome Megan Bruno on episode seven. She is based in New York City. Episode 17. Episode 17. Wow. 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 Episode 17. (laughs) That's how I feel. (laughs) We're back and you know what? We've had a mindset shift. I think that Megan gave us a lot of really great things to think about. So I'm really thankful that we had her on today. And like you said, in the interview, it was perfect for what we really needed today. Exactly. And I think it's going to help a lot of people out there as well. I feel like we've been focusing a lot about love and all those aspects. I feel like today we focus a lot about self-love, which is the most important kind of love, in my opinion. I love what she said is that the relationship that you have with yourself is the longest relationship you're ever going to have in your life, which is so crazy to think about, but very true. Yeah. And I'm really, I love her content that she posts. Um, something that caught my eye the other day was about the fantasy script and how, you know, the fantasy script is what we come up with for our life of like where we should be and like what we should be doing and, you know, how far you thought you would be by a certain age. And just kind of breaking away from that and how to stop comparing yourselves to the future you of where you thought you would be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's run through our week before we welcome Megan onto the podcast. So what's your high and low of the week been so far? I'm going to start with my low. Um, I feel like I've just been having one of those weeks this week. I just have had so much happening. There's a lot going on with work and then things outside of work. So I'm just really, I think, tired. But high point of the week is I am going to have a long weekend. So I'm really excited about that. I think it is going to be much needed after this week. Yes. My high of the week, let's see. My high of the week is that I've had Kynan here visiting me. That's been really fun. But also, like, with that, my low is that I have a lot of things going on. So it's kind of like I feel like I'm getting pulled in a lot of directions. But we went to a surf competition yesterday on the North Shore, which was so much fun. I literally love going to surf competitions. Um, Get to see all the, like, really famous surfers surf, which is cool. So that was really fun yesterday. And then today... It's my friend's birthday. I think we might go do some hikes and go to the beach for her birthday. So, yeah, just a lot going on, but a lot of good things. I hate that feeling of being pulled in a million directions. I think I am feeling that this week of, like, it's, like, frustrating when you feel called to do so many things and then you feel like you can't really accomplish any of them 100%. My thing is, like, when you have so, when you have a lot going on and then you feel like you can't enjoy what you're doing because you're, like, fixated on all the things that you have going on. So I'm, like... Uh, but, um, I actually texted, um, I had therapy this week. And so I texted Trish on Tuesday night and I was like, or no, it was Monday. Cause I thought my appointment was Tuesday and I was like, Hey, like, is there any way we could push it earlier in the day? Blah, blah, blah. And then she responded and she was like, I had you down for like, it was the next day at a different time, like completely different than what I thought it was. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. And she was like, maybe this is your sign to take a deep breath. I feel like that's kind of my theme of the week is just take a deep breath because sometimes I forget to do that. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. And I, I feel like I've been like getting easily frustrated lately. And I think that comes from when I feel like I'm being pulled in a bunch of different directions because I kind of do this to myself. I feel like it's such a delicate balance of being the doer type that we are and like wanting to do a lot, but then also having grace for yourself and being like, hey, you can't do everything. Yeah, because when I don't have anything going on, I'm like, okay, what can I like add to my plate because I don't have a lot going on. So it's like I just kind of always do this myself. But what's something that you're excited about? Oh, I know what you're excited about. You get to go to the beach this weekend. I'm excited for a long weekend. 
and to be at the beach and away from cold Nashville, even though today is pretty. But I don't know. I'm ready for the weekend and like to have a mood boost because I feel like I've just been in a bad mood the past two days, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about I'm excited about a few different things, but just like this week, we have a lot of fun things going on. But next week, so I guess like the end of I guess is I've been excited about this for every episode for like three weeks, but Libby comes next Saturday, which is so crazy. Um, and she's coming for my birthday. So like my birthday is March 1st. So she'll be here through my birthday. Um, I'm just really excited to have her visiting. But we we have like a lot of people visiting in the next few weeks. And then like Kynan was like a kind of a surprise visitor. So we, we're having a little bit of a hostel vibe going on. Our apartment's a little bit of a hostel right now. Um, but we called our apartment like in the fall, we always had someone staying here because Gabby and Blaine were staying in the North Shore, but working in town. So we called our apartment Southern Hostility because we thought we were basically just running a hostel. Like we always had our pull-out couch bed made for whoever was going to just turn up. Yeah, I know. I love that. Speaking of, I'm like ever since our conversation with Janelle, I've been just like really, really craving a big trip. So Viv, my roommate, and I are planning – um a trip to Spain and that's like one of the things that I want to focus on right now but it's just getting pushed to like the bottom of the to-do list yeah well it's just you to prioritize the things that I feel like you need to focus on like one like one job and one thing you're excited about at all times so you can like you don't just feel overwhelmed by like just like work you know yeah yeah all right so I'm really excited to talk to Megan she touches on all sorts of important topics that are relevant to me and you I know and I'm sure so many of our listeners um, she talks about overcoming perfectionism gaining self-confidence shame um, touches on just like a lot of things that I think a lot of people will benefit from so I'm really excited to welcome Megan to go call your sister Yeah, I'm really excited about this episode. We've been looking forward to this for like weeks, so we're really excited to have you here with us. Um, oh, I guess I'm just, so excited to be here. Thank you. I guess just kick it off a little bit by telling us a little bit about your background and kind of what you do on the day-to-day. Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm trained as a psychotherapist, so I have a master's in psychology, and uh, I did that for, well, I still do that, but not. I do more coaching now because I'm in the States, so I'm licensed in Canada. Um, and yeah, I... I um, I came to that um, because, you know, most therapists, we want to figure ourselves out, right? Like oftentimes people who are interested in psychology, we're kind of trying to fix ourselves. We have our own struggles. So I struggled myself for many years with anxiety and depression and eating disorders. And I actually didn't really know I was struggling with anxiety and depression. Um, I just thought it was like an angsty teenager who liked a lot of M&M. Um, and I, but I did know I had an eating disorder. I was struggling with bulimia at the time. And I mean, we could spend a whole podcast episode telling you my, my whole history and how I um, moved through that journey. And I welcome any questions about that. But ultimately, um, that was what drove me into wanting to study psychology. And I that combined with like coming from, um, you know, I was a child of divorce and was kind of in a parentified role as a child. My mom um, really struggled with my parents' divorce. And so I kind of was like, felt like I was in a therapist role from a pretty young age. And it was just like a really natural fit for me. So I was one of those lucky people who like did my undergrad in psychology, but like then didn't go through this like existential crisis being like, what am I doing with my life? So I just like went on, did my master's um, and started working with clients at a pretty young age. And I love, loved that work and continue to love that work. But I realized um, like ironically, as I was, you know, defending my master's thesis at like 25 was when I was at the rock bottom with my eating disorder. At that time, it had shifted to um, anorexia primarily. And I I really hadn't, I'd done a lot of my own work, but I, there was so much that I still had to do, right? So I'd done all of this like academic work, but I hadn't really found um, spirituality yet. And a lot of the uh, more body centered approaches that I teach clients today, and we may talk a little bit about So um, through actually like a bunch of over-exercising injuries, because I was like an obsessive exerciser, I found yoga because my uh, physical therapist at the time was like, you can't work out anymore or you're never going to work out again. So the one thing you can do is yoga. And I started doing that to heal my body physically, but it actually started really healing me mentally as well. 
And so from there, I kind of went on this journey and started learning a lot more about um, spiritual psychology in addition to just like, you know, kind of what I'd been learning in textbooks and whatnot. Um, And alongside that, as I was starting to work as a therapist in a college, I started to really notice a lot of similar patterns in my clients. And it kind of just seemed like everyone was dealing with the same sort of stuff. Like, we maybe see it through this lens of like, oh, this person has this like mental illness, they have anxiety, they have depression, you know, they have this, this label. But really, what I was seeing with my clients was that everyone was just like super hard on themselves and had really unrealistically high expectations and didn't really know how to cope with their emotional discomfort and thought that because they were having a feeling like feeling anxious or feeling sad or feeling guilty, that it meant that they were doing something wrong and they weren't like positive enough or happy enough or whatever. So um, so I started kind of um, conceptualizing things like a little bit differently in this more sort of non-pathologizing way. And what I mean by that is not necessarily, you know, slapping a label on everything and saying that just because, you know, you're feeling sad or because you're feeling anxious, it means that you should like, you know, be medicated or, you know, there's something wrong with you. And in some cases, that's absolutely the right avenue. But I started to advocate for more of a holistic approach. And around that time, I sort of started... Um, Uh, a blog because I was trying to step out of my own comfort zone and overcome some of my own sort of perfectionism and fears of of, um, my own emotional discomfort. So um, this, again, the story will be so long if I tell you every detail, but basically through that process, um, I ended up having an opportunity to move to New York. At the time I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I had an opportunity to move to New York, which I had visited in the past, but as a Canadian was always like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get there. I mean, I'd love to live and work there, but you can't just move and work there as a Canadian. So I ended up having this opportunity. Um, I did end up moving here. I'm in New York now and have been for the last seven years, aside from that little um, time in Nashville during the pandemic um, and among other places. Uh, so uh, ultimately, I, I came here and I worked in, I started in a startup because that's who sponsored my visa um, to stay here. And I started realizing actually how much um, entrepreneurs and people in startup culture are dealing with a lot of the same issues. So um, over the last seven years, basically, my business has shifted more from um, originally working a lot with clients with eating disorders and, you know, just more traditional uh, manifestations of like anxiety, depression, perfectionism and stuff like that. Now I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and try to kind of... um, bridge the gap between like mental health and entrepreneurship, both so that, you know, creatives like ourselves and and people who are wanting to start a business or go after their dreams, have that support um, and can recognize that like mental health is such an important part of it. But I also um, kind of wanted to infiltrate a more male dominated space uh, with conversations about mental health, so that it's not just something that we talk about with as like, seeming like, we're, we're weak for having emotions or something along those lines. Like when we can get, you know, more traditionally masculine, powerful, you know, leaders and whatnot talking about how they experience shame and, you know, they go through periods of depression or, you know, need to do things to optimize their mental health. And I think it really can just like benefit the greater conversation and normalize our very messy human journey journey that we think is supposed to be super clean and perfect and easy. I love that you work with entrepreneurs. We were actually just talking before you got on about how this week has been just crazy for us because we felt like we both felt pulled in so many different directions because we're involved with so many different things. We have we both have businesses on the side. We have our main jobs. We have the podcast. We have all these things going on that are great things, but it's just constantly mm-hmm. that feeling of being pulled in so many different directions. Totally. And it's so hard to be present when that's the case, right? right? Yeah. that's literally we were just having this discussion and it's so true because if you're an entrepreneur I feel like first off you're like you're not working just a nine to five where at five o'clock you turn it off and you're just done it's like you never you never stop working kind of totally it's you've got the side hustle as well absolutely and and, you know I mean again we can especially in like the wellness world we can talk about how like oh but you've just got to like be present and you know practice gratitude and like all these sorts of things but like Oftentimes, there's a very real reason that you need to be grinding away, yeah. you know, to keep a roof over your head or, you know, support your children if that's I the need case. to practice wellness, but I also need to get my company off the ground. So exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, let's go back to your um, roots of, you know, you initially started out helping people that were, you know, struggling with eating disorders. And, you know, I don't I don't know, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners probably have that struggle, but just self-confidence in general. What are your what are your tips for cultivating self-confidence? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's 
whether it shows up as an eating disorder or, or you know, some other version of uh, lacking, you know, confidence or believing we're not good enough or believing we have to change ourselves in some way to be worthy. I think particularly as women, um, you know, all genders deal with this to a certain extent, but particularly as women, because we're so socialized from a young age to believe that our self-worth or our worth, I should say, is wrapped up in like our appearance or being thin or being desirable for a partner because we're here to be a wife, you know, we're very relational or be a mother, you know, um, and if not, then we're obsolete. And of course, that is changing. And that's really exciting. And I think a lot more women are, um, you know, being encouraged to have careers and passions and stuff like that. But still, what we see in the media um, is, you know, that if a woman doesn't follow the script of like, again, being like, young, thin, beautiful, like, married and having children, then she's failed in some way. Um, and in addition to that, uh, women are so objectified, right? So like just even the imagery on social media and whatnot, which I think has like set back our progress by so many years, um, you know, so much of it is very much about being being attractive, right? And being desirable. So the reason I, I um, open with that is because there are these sort of like narratives or expectations that we grow up with, whether it's like a Disney movie that we watch growing up about, you know, Beauty and the Beast or whatever, um, or whether it's fairy tales or the movies that we see, the shows that we watch, like we all have this expectation for what success looks like for us and what's going to make us desirable and worthy and lovable, whether it's by, you know, from like a parent or from an ultimate partner. And so, um, yes, I mean, appearance, thinness, all of that is one place where we put these expectations on ourselves uh, but, you know, men obviously struggle with a whole host of other things in terms of their financial success or their, you know, height or how masculine they are or how powerful they are if they own their home or whatever. And of course, there are so many others that women struggle with as well. So one of the things that, um, you know, one of the areas like perfectionism lies to us is it says that in order for us to feel confident, what we need to do is we need to be perfect in all of these areas. Like, then, you know, lose weight or, you know, make more money or, um, you know, buy the home or whatever, and then you'll be enough, then you'll be worthy, then you'll be lovable. And um, that's a pretty like kind of house of cards way of ma maintaining confidence, because like you maybe get the thing or you achieve that goal for a moment in time, but it's not something that we can hold on to because, um, you know, everything in life is impermanent and constantly changing. And, um, you know, a lot of these things are just moments in time. You know, I'm sure many people listening have had the experience of being like, okay, well, when I get the promotion, you know, or when I, again, like lose the weight or when I, you know, make this change in my life in some way, then I'm finally going to constantly be happy. And so um, a lot of people are looking outside of themselves for that confidence. And that's what we're taught to do. Uh, that also sells a lot of products you know that's kind of the basis of a lot of marketing is hey like you're not good enough but if you buy this thing or if you do this program then you're going to be happy you know then you'll be confident then you'll be lovable and worthy so that's sort of what we implicitly do to gain confidence but it, it doesn't work you know because there's always going to be another place where we feel shame or we feel not good enough or we feel like we need to be better and so really, um, where the more effective, uh, sustainable intervention, I suppose, is, is in changing our relationship to ourselves. So what a lot of us don't realize is that we do have this inner voice. And sometimes it's internalized from, you know, our parents or caregivers or sibling or whatever, siblings, I should say. Um, but a lot of the times, too, it really is just like the internalized voice of like societal messaging. So coming back to like being women in this world, um, if that's the majority of your listeners, like we're constantly inundated with messages that just say we're not enough. And yes, it's the Disney movies that I mentioned, but it's also just like every ad we've ever seen on TV. You know, it's every celebrity gossip magazine, like we're constantly told we're not enough. And so um, that critical inner voice that we have, it could really be an internalized voice of like a parent. And many of us or many of my clients they're able to recognize that like, oh, this is the voice of my mom, you know, or this is the voice of my dad. But sometimes it is just something that we've adopted that at some point was productive for us, right? Like it was motivating, it caused us to like achieve our goals. But the problem with that internal, um, critical internal voice or critical inner voice is that it also makes us feel incredibly anxious a lot of the time, right? Because it's kind of abusive. So if you think about if you always had someone with you, who was going to abuse you if you didn't do something perfectly, or if, you know, you thought you didn't look good in the mirror that day, or if you failed the exam, or, um, you know, didn't get the job, or that person rejected you or dumped you or whatever, it's a pretty anxiety provoking way of living your life. Um, so not only are you constantly on edge being like, when am I going to get attacked from this voice? But you're also feeling pretty depressed most of the time, because nothing's ever good enough. The bar is always raised. It's that same thing I was mentioning earlier, like, 
we have these goals. Oh, when I graduate college, then everything's going to be good. Oh, when I get my master's. Oh, you know, when again, I, you know, meet this sort of fitness goal or whatever, but it doesn't last. It lasts for a few moments or for a few days. And then we find something else to attach our self-worth to. So really the more sustainable approach to self-confidence is a um, shifting our relationship to ourselves. So we're actually more supportive and we're kind of more like a coach to ourselves. We still have like realistically high expectations and want growth and whatnot. But in the same way, you might respond to like a friend or a loved one or a child or someone you're coaching or mentoring. You are very supportive to them when they're an inevitably imperfect human. So part of that is changing the relationship to self so that you're more supportive. Along with that is having more realistic expectations. So again, perfectionism uh, has very uh, aligned with it is very um, unrealistically high, inflexible expectations. Whereas a healthy relationship to ourselves would offer still realistically high expectations based on perhaps like your level, your skill level or prior knowledge or the circumstances and whatnot, but they're flexible. You understand that like, sometimes you didn't sleep the night before. Sometimes, you know, you're on your period. Sometimes you're sick or, or, you know, your heart's broken or whatever. So it's just a much more compassionate and understanding approach or relationship to yourself. And a really important part of that though, if you really want to break it down is um, being able to respond to our emotional discomfort or our bodily discomfort as we, um, navigate life. So really, um, humans are pretty simple, like we complicate things. But at the end of the day, we're just driven by seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And that's quite evolutionary. I mean, you know, this has kept us alive for hundreds of 1000s of years. And whether it's like avoiding pain of, you know, the hot stove or whatever that we don't want to touch, which obviously didn't exist hundreds of 1000s of years ago, but not touching fire, we'll say, um, or our emotions. So emotions are extremely evolutionary and adaptive. And that's one of the, the I think, most unhelpful narratives out in our um, psychology or self-help uh, society is that like you should just think positively or be positive. Because really, every difficult emotion has actually like kept our society alive. So if you think about um, humans are what we call pro-social beings. We existed in tribes or groups. And if we didn't, then we wouldn't have survived. If we got isolated, not only would we be more likely to, you know, die of whether it was be attacked by a wild animal or die of hypothermia or, you know, not get um, not get in on the kill or whatever and be able to eat, starve to death. It also mean that we couldn't procreate, right? Or meant that we couldn't procreate. So we're biologically programmed and socially programmed to want to be a part of a group. And most of our emotions are there to ensure that that happens. So something like guilt is actually a really productive emotion because it tells us, hey, you've done something that is going to um, potentially like cause this rupture in this relationship and maybe get you kicked out of the group. You want to repair that. Guilt motivates us to apologize, repair a relationship. Anxiety tells us to like prepare or watch out, you know, or if there is that wild animal coming toward us, it, it instigates that fight or flight response. Um, you know, um, What's another good example? Anger. Anger tells us that like a boundary has been crossed. We've been mistreated. We need to advocate for ourselves or someone else. And again, like that helps us with, um, you know, setting boundaries and whatnot. So we could go through every emotion and explain the utility in it. But where, what I want to come back to around the self-confidence piece is that it's really important for us to recognize that our difficult emotions are just a really natural part of being human. And where um, our work comes in is being able to notice what we're feeling, identify it, and ask ourselves, like, okay, what? where's the wisdom here? Is there something I need to listen to and a behavior that I need to um, act upon that will help, like, repair the relationship, for example, or set the boundary? Um, or is this emotion maybe coming from, like, a place of trauma? Like, a lot of us have unproductive guilt. We feel a lot of guilt or we feel a lot of shame that's not actually grounded in truth or reality. So when we start to learn how to deal with our uncomfortable emotions, we're able to um, be far more resilient to whatever... Uh, failure we might experience or rejection we might experience or life just not going our way. So if you contrast perfectionism with resilience, perfectionism is kind of a way of avoiding discomfort by avoiding anything that might go wrong and trying to like be in this constant state of not feeling discomfort. Whereas with resilience, we're like, okay, I mean, life is going to be uncomfortable no matter what, as long as we live, we're going to experience moments of grief and regret and disappointment and hurt and heartbreak and anxiety and whatnot. So rather than trying to do whatever I can, rather than getting like thin enough that I'm never going to feel that again, which obviously is not a thing, let me find a way to cope with those uncomfortable emotions, change my relationship to myself so that I can support myself when I'm feeling any of those things. 
And then I can trust that whatever comes my way, I can handle. And that's where true confidence comes from. So house of cards confidence is let me try to find this thing outside of myself that's going to make me feel better momentarily. True confidence is, okay, I'm going to be resilient enough to my difficult emotions, have a healthy relationship to myself so that actually I know I'm going to show up for myself through anything and, you know, throw rejection my way, throw failure my way, like I'll get through that because I have the tools and resources inside to deal with it. I feel like you're speaking directly to me right now. I love it. (laughs) We're doing the intro and Bird, it's like, you're so depressing right now. Like, and I'm like, no, I'm not. You can't be positive all the time. Like it's been a hard week. Totally, totally. And that's again, I mean, we, so as I was saying with um, our emotions, most of the time there, there's like a real utility in them. But what we tend to do is because we judge ourselves for feeling them, like, let's say, you you know, um, if you're feeling uh, sad, I guess, or disappointed or discouraged, and then suddenly you're telling yourself, like, you've got to be positive. Like, why are you being so negative? Then you're judging yourself for feeling that disappointment or discouragement or sadness. And then not only are you feeling those initial, what we call primary emotions, you're now feeling shame on top of that. You're now feeling anxiety on top of that. You're beating yourself up for feeling shitty, right? And so we then actually create what we call secondary emotions through that process. So I always encourage clients to like, notice where they might be beating themselves up or judging themselves for having a difficult feeling. And instead of being like, why aren't you stronger? Why aren't you being more positive? Being like, oh, sweetheart, like this has been a really hard week. Like it makes so much sense that you're feeling discouraged right now. And like you've been working your ass off and it just feels like nothing's going right. And I can completely understand why you'd be feeling defeated. Anyone in your shoes would feel that way. Like, do you see the difference in terms of how you would feel of you shouldn't be feeling that way? Be positive. What's wrong with you versus darling like I'm here for you this is so hard like what do you need right now absolutely so I guess kind of going off of that um, I'm really interested to hear about your fantasy script and how we can stop comparing ourselves to what um, what or where we thought we should be because I was just really intrigued by the fantasy script and I read about that sure I mean look I think we all have um again, this sort of is rooted in things like Disney and fairy tales and, you know, what our parents tell us and whatnot and the people's lives that we want to emulate or we admire or compare ourselves to. We all have this version of like what our lives would look like. And, you know, I don't know about you gals, but like I'm 35, like I'm unmarried. I'm very fucking single. I don't have any kids. Like, um, and I, I love my life. I'm like deeply grateful for it, but it looks nothing like how I imagined it would, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Right. And that's often the case for, for most of us. I mean, the reality is we don't actually have control over what happens in our lives. Like we, we have, we could say we have influence. I mean, depending on your philosophical beliefs and I'm not going to get into like determinism versus free will, but you know, for people who are interested in that kind of stuff, it's, it's, you know, helpful to kind of understand what your philosophical beliefs are around whether or not we actually have any control over our lives. Um, But ultimately we want to have control because that helps us manage anxiety, right? Coming back to anxiety, like it's, it's kind of scary thinking like so many different things could happen and we don't have control over our lives. So we create these illusions of like, this is what my life is going to look like and here's what I'm going to do. And here's my five-year plan. And here's my 10-year plan. When in reality, I mean, there's very little that, um, we actually do realize because so many of the variables that would make that five or 10 year plan happen are out of our control. Right. So, um, while it's a nice idea and a lot of the times people come up with these goals and plans, uh, to both manage their anxiety or in some cases, like, you know, I think there, there is a healthy way to like set some goals that you want to meet if you want to like go to school for something. Right. Or if you have a, a, um, something in your life that you really want to shift and it is going to take a number of steps. Like, of course, there's a place where you do want to come up with a plan. But ultimately, a lot of the time when we come up with these like fantasy scripts or um, visions of how our lives are going to look, it's just a way of like managing anxiety and sitting with the discomfort or of the uncertainty that we're all existing within. So a couple of things that I would recommend for people, you know, if they're thinking, oh, gosh, my life like looks nothing like how I thought it would. And I mean, the reality is like, we don't choose the situations we're born into for better or worse, right? And so it's very unrealistic. Like, I often say that it's almost like saying like, you're, you're running a race against someone or a vision of yourself that's like, 
at a completely different starting line than you. You know, we all have different genetic makeup. You know, we're born into different levels of privilege. You know, we have different resources available to us. And that doesn't mean that just because, you know, someone has more privilege, life is going to necessarily be easier for them in every way at all. Um, but ultimately, we're comparing apples and oranges. So if you're comparing yourself to somebody else and being like, oh, why am I not where they are? It's it's kind of, um, it just, it, it's, um, let me see how I want to put this. Like, it, it, it's just, kind of delusional to be honest like it's like why would we why would you compare yourself to somebody um in like a, you could say if we're gonna I mean maybe because the Olympics are on I'm using like sports metaphors but it's like okay well you're comparing yourself to a completely different like athlete who's doing a completely different sport who's in a completely different race and you're wondering why your life doesn't look the same as theirs and so um again it's it's kind of like simple simplistic and reductionistic to be like oh, well, like if they did it, so can I. And for some people that works for them and some people feel motivated by that. But I kind of pushing back against that because there are so many variables um, that would make it so that we all have individual differences and we're not going to um, have the same outcome as someone, not only because of like what's happen in, happening internally, but like who did that person meet in their networking journey? You know, what member of their family got them, you know, got them connected to this person or into this college or whatever. So um I guess that, you know, I don't know if I feel like this isn't a very coherent answer, but I would just say that if you're comparing yourself to others, it's just, it doesn't make any sense because we're all so different. So you are comparing apples and oranges. And if you're comparing yourself to like what you envisioned yourself to be or where you envisioned yourself to be, I mean, you're envisioning that based on a completely controlled environment where you would essentially have control over whatever's going to happen. And you're like a fortune teller predicting everything that's going to come your way. And you can't predict that. I mean, it's the same thing as if you just even were to predict like what you're going to get done in a week. And then let's say you get sick, right? Or, um, you know, something happens that's like really emotionally distressful and you're not going to be as productive as you thought you were. So I think um, there is like some utility to making plans and setting goals and stuff like that. But for the most part, we've only we've just got to like work with where we are in that moment and be pretty open to life not looking like how we expected it to. Or we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment and feeling like failures. I know Bird and I are both planners, so that's something that we struggle with a lot. Totally. Um, yeah, and I feel like in the grand scheme of it, like nothing ever really goes as planned. Like in, in some aspects, it's going to be different. It might be better than we planned. It might be worse. But I think especially probably a lot of people listening to this who are, you know, between like the ages of like 20 and like 35 would say like this part of our life is so crazy because you definitely see it going a different way. Like even what I do now compared to what I would thought I was going to do a year ago is like a total 360. So I think everyone wants to say they want to be like, you know, go with the flow. Like, oh yeah, I'm go with the flow. I'm chill. But like, I personally am not like when things change, I have a hard time pivoting from like what I thought. So just hearing all that thing, all of those points about the fantasy script is so true. Uh, you really well, have no think- control. Totally. And I think, you know, in some ways, I, I can, I can very much understand why, why people plan so much. And there are cases where, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, like, I do want to acknowledge privilege and stuff in this, because there are cases where it's like, okay, if you you're just living like paycheck to paycheck, and like, you need to plan to make sure that you can pay rent for the next like few months or whatever, like there are places for planning, right. But we also use planning as a way of managing our anxiety. And then we never get used to sitting with uncertainty. And our work here, the spiritual piece is learning how to be with uncertainty. So you know, I might invite you to like, just consider what it's like if you like don't plan so much for a week or what it's like if you have some unstructured time and what does that stir up in you and what stories do you tar- t- start telling yourself and what do you notice in your body and as you become more comfortable with that uncertainty then you're not going to be at the mercy of like making so many plans because my guess is that making those plans is a way of managing anxiety that feels good in the moment but actually perpetuates that anxiety and the other piece is that like part of the beauty of life in my opinion at least is like the unplanned, like the serendipitous, like the things that just happen because, you know, they're, um, that's just how life is, right? And judgment is really what causes so much of our pain and prevents us from experiencing joy. And when you can go into a situation without expectation, it's much easier to just not judge it. Otherwise, if you're going in with expectation or plans, you're going to judge it. Like I'm evaluating this. Did this go as planned? Did it not go as planned? Did I fail in some way? Is this my fault? Like, let me, you know, you have an expectation and then you're going to feel ultimately like disappointed or frustrated as a result. So if you can have more of your life and let it be like unplanned, there's more room for a being present because you're not like evaluating. Did this match my script or my vision of what I thought this would be? Did I fail in some way, whatever, but it also just allows for like these moments of like spontaneous serendipitous joy and um, wonder and curiosity and all of like the really juicy parts of life that we kind of, um, 
uh, I don't know, removed from our experience when we're so structured or when we have such high expectations for ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back um, to shame. We talked about that earlier. Sure. We touched on it. But what exactly is shame? I feel like we hear about it a lot. Um, and then how do you work through it? Yeah. So shame, I mean, look, we all experience shame. Um, it's and there are, there are different types of shame. You know, there there is a healthy shame, which coming back to this idea of emotions being evolutionary, evolutionary or having like a utility to them. Um, shame kind of says like, there's something wrong with you or you're not, you're doing something wrong that is going to get you ostracized from the group, right? Like this is not pro-social behavior, basically. So, you know, if you're... Um, if you, you, you know, you're on a bus and like someone on a walk, an old lady on a walker gets on and like, you don't give her your seat and you feel some shame. That's a good thing, right? Like, Ooh, like, you know, I should feel shame at instance. That's going to get me up and give this woman my seat because that's pro-social behavior. Right. Um, or if you feel shame for, I mean, just for, for any listener, think of like the last time that maybe they did something that maybe they labeled as like embarrassment or guilt. And that can often embarrassment, guilt and shame, you know, all come together but they maybe felt shame around something that they they really did do or did not do that they thought, oh, that wasn't really within my integrity. I think I'm a better person than that. You know, I shouldn't have done this sort of thing. So there's are places where there's healthy shame, but most of us are feeling chronic, unhealthy shame. And by chronic, I mean, it's kind of there, like, you know, the volume turns up and down, but it's there a lot of the time. And shame is what's at the root of perfectionism. So shame is this belief, like, I am bad. Whereas guilt is kind of like, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. I'm a bad person. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. But we're not often conscious of that. That just like kind of sits in our body. And we believe that, yes, if we, you know, lose enough weight or make enough money or have enough, you know, followers on Instagram or whatever, then we're finally going to be good enough. We're finally going to be worthy. We're finally going to be lovable. So it's still a similar feeling of like the healthy shame that says, oh, you're, you're going to get rejected. People don't, you know, you're actually really bad. You're, you know, you've got to change this thing about yourself, but it doesn't attach so much to like a behavior or something that you can really change or should change. It's actually these like really unrealistic expectations about ourselves that we should be perfect. And again, this oftentimes is internalized in childhood. You know, if we have a lot of criticism from a parent, shame and criticism are really aligned, right? So self-criticism usually creates shame or criticism in general creates shame. And so much of the time, um, it's it, it's lying to us. You know, it's, it's their lying to us and saying like, you're bad, you're unlovable, people are going to find you out and then they're going to not like, like you or want to be your friend or want to date you or whatever, you're going to get fired. It's also at the root of like imposter syndrome and all those sorts of things. So um, most of the time when people are experiencing shame, A, they actually don't really notice it, which is what I help people do is become more aware of the shame that they're experiencing. Um, and B, it's, it's very uncomfortable. So people try to avoid it by either being, you know, perfectionistic, doing perfectionistic things, or a lot of the times, that's what's at the root of our numbing behaviors. So, you know, maybe we do have like an unhealthy relationship to, you know, alcohol or drugs or food or Netflix or phone or dating or sex or whatever. A lot of the times it's actually shame that's at the root of that. And so we don't like that feeling. We have these sort of either unconscious or semi-conscious thoughts about being bad or unworthy or unlovable. And so we just try to distract and avoid through using all these different behaviors. So a big part of healing is starting to recognize or become conscious of that shame that's oftentimes just living below the surface and change what we call like our core beliefs about ourselves. You know, instead of I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, um, you know, I'm going to be rejected all the time. People are going to find me out starting to actually become aware of that and recognize and be like, okay, like I see what's happening here. This is, you know, rooted in what I went through as a kid when I was bullied at school, that's another, I didn't mention that earlier, but bullying is a huge source of that critical inner voice and shame as well. Um, you know, and I can see why I internalized this at that time and why it made sense for me to, you know, really beat myself up and try to be a perfect child. So I wasn't, you know, criticized by my parents or, you know, beaten up at school or whatever, or, or bullied. Um, but now, you know, I can rewire some of that and, you know, change some of those beliefs and recognize that actually, like, I am still lovable and worthy, even though I'm imperfect, you know, I don't need to, you know, make the million dollars or, you know, lose the 100 pounds to still like deserve love and friendship and stuff like that. So that's um, shame is, is, even though I am describing it in a very like cognitive way, and there are sort of thoughts that come along with it, it really is a bodily sensation. And, you know, for my clients, like, oftentimes, we try to really become aware of how that shows up for them. 
But if you take some time and tap into your body, or you think about a time where you felt shame, or you had that idea like, oh, I'm bad, I'm unlovable. Oftentimes, you can start to notice like, oh, maybe there's like a heaviness in your chest, you know, or you feel kind of like, you know, you kind of close off and want to make yourself smaller. And, you know, there might be sort of a pit in your stomach. So becoming just even aware of that sensation in your body will help you recognize when, oh, my behavior right now is being driven by shame. Oh, I'm going into a shame spiral. That's why I'm depressed right now. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I'm enacting in this perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would describe it. The next thing I wanted to kind of talk about was, because I thought this was really a really good question, but what are some ways that we can live meaningfully instead of productively? Because I think that's, I feel like everyone can just say, oh, I have to be so productive. Like yeah. today I have to be so productive. And when you get to the end of the day and you're in your bed at night, you say, oh, I wasn't as productive as I wanted to, but I think that living meaningfully is so much more important. So what are your tips on that? Totally. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is I would ask people to tap into like their values and their faith beliefs and whatnot. Like um, if you do believe in in God or some sort of like all-knowing being, perhaps you believe that that is the person who's kind of like judging your behavior at the end of the day and deciding whether or not like you've you've lived like a meaningful life or, you know, are worthy or you are productive enough. Um, If you decide that you're the person who gets to make that decision for yourself as to whether or not like your, your behavior allows you um, or your behavior, your behavior reflects like how good of a person you are, I guess I should say. Um, Then I would encourage people either way to just tap in and be like, okay, well, um, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, if I should be so lucky as to live to 95 or something like that, when I look back on my life, like, how am I going to have wanted to live that life? Like, what is going to be important to me? Will it be important that I, you know, was more productive every single day? And every day I went to bed being like, yes, I checked everything off my to-do list, which again, oftentimes when we're living from a place of like extreme productivity, it's what we were talking about earlier. Um, we don't actually ever get to be present. So we actually just really miss our lives. Like we're constantly thinking, I've got to do the next thing, next thing, check this off the to-do list, check this off the to-do list. And really we're never present. So if you think about anxiety as like living in the future or depression and rumination are living in the past, most of us kind of like go back and forth between those two things. We never actually just sit there and be like, wow, like, let me just kind of like experience being here right now, you know, and feel the sun on my face or like be in my body for a moment or appreciate this like, you know, coffee with a friend or whatever and actually really be here with them now. A lot of us are just like, I've got to do something more, got to do more, got to do more. And that actually comes back to perfectionism. If I'm productive enough, if I achieve enough, then I'll be worthy, then I'll be lovable, which comes back to shame, tying everything together. So with the sort of productivity versus um, a meaningful life, the first thing people have to do is give themselves permission to choose a meaningful life over a productive one. Because if you're always thinking that you have to, like someone else gets to determine whether or not like the way you're living your life is good enough, um, then that's something you need to reconcile first. And I can't make that decision for listeners. I mean, if you do ultimately decide it's more important for you to live a productive life than one that's meaningful, then, you know, it's going to be more challenging to shift these types of uh, behaviors. But if you get to a point where you're like, oh, okay, yes, maybe my parents always wanted me to be productive for the first 15, 17, 20 years of my life. And it was really important that I always got all my chores done and did my homework and, you know, went to school and played on this team and did these sorts of things. And productivity was really important. That's fine. I was living under their house at that time. And that was what was important. But now that I'm an adult, maybe I can actually change what I believe is important in my life. Because as much as our parents, like, know lots a lot of the time, they also maybe don't know so much, you know, they're on their own journeys. And nobody gets to hold this like objective truth for you as to whether what makes like a meaningful or a good life. And in fact, most people, when they're on their deathbed at 95, again, if they should be so lucky to live that long, look back and are like, wow, I wish I hadn't worked so much. I wish that I had spent more time with my friends and my family. I wish I hadn't beaten myself up so much. I wish I'd been kinder to myself. I wish I'd had more fun. I wish I'd played. I wish I'd been more present. So if most people are having that same regret, there's probably some merit in allowing ourselves to actually be present and live a more like meaningful versus productive life. Because at the end of the day, it's like, why are we all being so productive so that we can be happy when we get there? We know that that doesn't happen. We just try to be more productive. And it's a very fleeting way of achieving happiness or contentment. So if you can make that shift where you actually allow yourself to value meaning over productivity, the other thing you can do after that is then start to find the meaning in things that you probably wouldn't have seen as productive previously. So yeah, maybe it's not productive to like sit around and, you know, watch Netflix for a couple of hours. 
but maybe that's also self-care or maybe that's a way of recharging or maybe it's like entertainment, you know, or maybe it's a connection with your partner. Like there are ways that you can find meaning in doing nothing. And I actually think this is going to be, I'm calling it now, but I think there's going to be like a real shift toward, hey, we all need to do more nothing because we're just numbing ourselves and running from our feelings by constantly being productive. And when we can, again, change that relationship to self, like what I was saying earlier, then we can actually be present. We can enjoy those moments where we're not really doing anything or where we're even just like, I don't know. Yeah. Go for, go for a stroll or like, I guess you could say like housework is productive. I'm trying to think of things that like you wouldn't see as productive. I mean, having fun, like, or, you know, oops, just even like, even sometimes going on social media can be meaningful. You know, if it's a way of connecting or if it's entertainment, fill your feed with memes like me. Um, But uh, so, you know, I mean, and and maybe I'll pass it back to you two for a moment. Like, is there anything, because it sounds like you're both quite like task oriented and want to be productive. What would be something that you perceive as like not productive that you beat yourself up for? Okay, so I was just thinking this the whole time you were talking about that, but especially living in Hawaii where it's so beautiful all the time, my roommate and I talk about this all the time together, but when we are like not outside doing, you know, outside things, we're in our apartment doing work or something, we're like, oh my gosh, we feel so guilty for, you know, staying inside. But for me, my biggest thing is rest. Like I kind of see like resting or like, you know, slowing down or, you know, watching Netflix, taking that. I find it, I, find like guilt with it kind of because I'm like I could be doing so much more with my time so kind of reframing that you know rest into self-care totally watching Netflix into self-care things like that it's such a good way to reframe because that's definitely something that I struggle with Ali I think you're kind of the same I think definitely the self-care piece but also like just things that are going to bring me nothing but joy like doing art I kind of discovered that over Christmas and that's something that I enjoy and like no I am not an artist am I ever going to sell my artwork probably not but it's something I enjoy and it's fun and it's just getting into the practice of doing something that's not going to bring anything to me except for joy I feel like we talk about things Allie and I're like oh we like to do this we should start a business yes doing it like we make it productive yeah yeah and a couple things I would add to that thank you for sharing both of those gals but like the couple things I would add to that is that um, for sure, like the self-care piece is so important in terms of like recharging and whatnot in terms of pure joy. I mean, really like why else are we here? Right? Like it's not, I mean, again, of course, everybody has different denominational beliefs and whatnot, but like, if you just look at this as having one life, right. And maybe there is an afterlife or whatever, but let's just look at our one life right now. Like what's the point? If the point is joy, then give yourself opportunities for moments of joy so you can actually experience it. Um, and there was something else I was going to say too that I feel is important, but now I can't remember what it was. Give me one second to see if I can remember. Um, oh yes, is what I was going to say. The other thing is that like it is so important, as I was saying earlier, for us to really heal our relationship to self or work on our relationship to self. And it's amazing because we talk about like, oh, it's so important to like you know work on your romantic relationship or your relationship with your family members or your friends or whatever. But we never talk about how important it is that we like get to know ourselves and and nurture our relationship to self. And it's actually the longest relationship we're ever going to have in our lives. Like everyone else we're going to lose to, to oh, death ultimately, that. right? And so from birth to death, you are your work here is to get to know yourself and learn to love yourself unconditionally. And by that, I don't mean that you just like put up with any behavior and you have no integrity, but learn how to love and support yourself and know yourself really well. And it's in those moments of Sometimes it's, you know, watching the Netflix or or doing the art or whatever. And other times it's kind of just like being with yourself where you can have moments of like reflection and get to know yourself. And I mean, gosh, like, because of course, like this was a long journey for me, especially as I began to recover from eating disorders. But I remember still like the moment, like, you know, a couple of years into really doing this work where I kind of had a moment where I was like, I kind of like myself. Like, I'm kind of funny. Like, this is entertaining being in my mind, you know? And so many of us, we don't ever give ourselves time to get to know ourselves and like ourselves. So I would just say, you know, one huge way that you can reframe productivity into meaning is any moment that you're not like doing something, you're not distracted and you're actually being present with you. And that in a way can make any moment kind of productive, I suppose, or meaningful because you're working on your relationship to self. I think another piece of that is taking the control back. Like I feel like so often I've given the control to others, whether it's a boss or a parent to say, you're doing great. You are productive. And it's like, no, what is that? What does that mean to me? I can't give someone else the power to decide if I've had a bad day because I feel like I haven't been productive enough or whatever enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and I would even invite you to, to I mean, I know it's hard because this has been so ingrained into us, but like try to start detaching worth from productivity, you know, because 
that um, fusion of like worth being married to productivity, of course, is going to keep you wanting to always be productive, because you're always thinking like, I didn't get enough done. And therefore, I'm not worthy. And again, I mean, so much of us had this from come from parents, right? And they, that came from their parents and their parents. And so there's just so much around like, be productive. And that's why you're useful or worthy or lovable. Whereas it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, if you're like, contributing member of society and you know have a job and I mean even if you don't obviously there are lots of times we go through where we're unemployed but like you know if you're functioning and you're not causing a lot of harm in society that you're aware of at least like it doesn't really matter like nobody gets to determine how um like productive you should be or you should be doing more like it's really just comes down to whether or not you like your life and you like yourself and you want to make changes or you feel more you feel disconnected and maybe you want to make more friends or you know you're bored and maybe want to create a bit more or something like that but Mm -hmm. looking at your um behavioral motivation coming from this more like intrinsic desire for like having your needs met versus like some outside force judging you for not doing enough Mm -hmm. definitely and I really like what you said about realizing the things that you like about yourself because I feel like when we break it down we're always thinking about things we want to fix or change so it's like I want to you know work out more I want to do this more I want to meditate more but it's kind of like what do I what do I do that I like love and that when you start loving more things about yourself I feel like you start finding less things that you need to fix and you start fixating on the things that you love so I really like that point um, that you brought up there Okay, so what does it look like to trust yourself? And how can you develop trust for yourself? Um, I think that's a really good question. I guess, um, just to clarify, because I do think that that can mean so many different things to different people. I mean, I almost want to, okay, I guess you're asking me what it would look like to trust myself. So I want to ask you what you mean by that. But I guess, um, I guess like, okay, how I interpret that, and you can tell me if you have a different uh, uh, version how I interpret that is kind of just it's coming back to that confidence piece and just trusting that like you're doing okay. Like the way that you're living your life is working. You know, you can trust that like the decisions you're making, um, you know, the way that you're interpreting and perceiving life, like all of that is, is okay, you know, and it's serving you and it's going to serve you. And that doesn't mean that you don't get consultation. I mean, I think this is why therapy and coaching and all of those things are so helpful because it does offer a space to really, um, reflect on the way that we're living our lives and determine like, okay, can I keep trusting myself to like make the right decisions and stuff like that? But I guess even as I say that make the right decisions, I mean, a big part of learning to trust ourselves is allowing ourselves to make the wrong decision or like make a decision and learn from that. So again, with perfectionism coming back to that, so much of it is this fear of our emotional discomfort at the end of the day, a fear of things that we can't control, a fear of uncertainty. Um, you know, I often reference the three C's, comfort, certainty, and control. That's what perfectionism wants us to find. And really, you could interpret perfectionism as just being not trusting yourself. So needing to really look outside yourself and always focus on, oh, I should do this. I should do that. This is what I need to do. Here's what a good life looks like versus allowing yourself to kind of figure it out and intuitively know this feels good. This doesn't feel good. This is how I want to live my life. This is how I don't. How many people have gone and like followed an educational path or whatever only to find out once they get their degree and they start working in that field, actually, I don't like this at all. I'm going to do something completely different, which takes a lot of courage to do, by the way. And I really respect people who take that leap. But what I mean by this or what I'm trying to highlight is that a lot of the time what we think is going to make us happy isn't what makes us happy. And so, but that's a very perfectionistic kind of like external way of living our lives. Whereas trusting ourselves does come back to that piece I was mentioning earlier, allowing ourselves to kind of mess up or experience difficult emotions and come to know ourselves better and better through that process, get to really know ourselves and develop our relationship to self. And then we can realize like, like for me at least, like that trusting piece is the resilience stuff. It's knowing like, okay, um, like for example, I mean, I, you know, coming back to what I was saying earlier, all right, I, again, like at this age, like one of the kind of places of not like intense anxiety, but one of the question marks I'm having in my life right now is like, huh, I actually might not follow that life path that I thought I would. Like maybe I'll never get married. Maybe I'll never have kids. I always thought I would experience those things and maybe I still will, but I'm now in a place where I'm like, maybe it won't happen. And for a lot of women, that is terrifying, right? Because again, coming back to what I opened with, so many of us have been socialized to believe that our entire worth lies in like being a wife and being a mother. So coming to trust ourselves is recognizing like 
my life might not turn out the way that I thought it would. And that's okay. I trust in my resilience. I trust in my ability to find meaning and things that don't really make sense at the time. I trust in my resourcefulness in terms of like finding connection and my creativity and my gratitude or my ability to like perceive life in, in a more spiritual way or whatever. So that no matter what happens, like it's going to be okay. And like, I can count, I guess now that I've been talking about this for like five minutes, what I would say is that trusting yourself is just knowing you can count on yourself, right? You will be there to support yourself through difficult times. You are resourceful enough. You're an adult. You're not a helpless little child anymore. And a lot of the time when we don't trust ourselves, it's because we, we kind of revert back to being, you know, it's our inner child. A lot of the times acting up and reverting back being like, I can't handle this. I'm not going to be able to handle life. And so trusting ourselves is knowing you can handle what comes your way. You can show up for yourself when things are hard. You are resourceful. You are intelligent. You are wise. You have the self-awareness and you know yourself well enough to get through whatever comes your way. And most importantly, every difficult, impermanent emotion that bubbles up because that's what being a human is, you know how to cope with and you'll be able to get through those sorts yeah. of things versus, again, the sort of more like anxiety-driven, perfectionistic avenue, which is I can't handle yeah. life. I think that's something that I've Definitely. had to work on is just like knowing that like I – know the answers like I know what I want where I want to be like and just looking within instead of looking outside totally and it's okay to not know the answers you know like you know the answers and it's okay to not know them and to take some time to find them like it's okay to fumble and have life look kind of messy for a bit and be confused because again we have this high unrealistically high expectation on ourselves that it's all supposed to go smoothly and that's just not how it works as entrepreneurs but also just as humans we we need to let ourselves kind of fumble and figure it out as we go definitely um, so I really want to hear about your book, How to Be Alone and Together, and just kind of tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners can get a copy of their own. Oh, thank you for asking about it. Um, so my book, How to Be Alone and Together, um, <laughs> is sort of a, a, a sort of short, kind of easy, like little short um, narratives and and pieces of wisdom and advice, nuggets of, of wisdom, I would say on how to develop that relationship to self. So all of the things that I was talking about earlier really does come back to just nurturing our relationship to self, like developing um, the skills to be able to cope with uncomfortable emotions and support ourselves through challenging times and change our expectations so they're more realistic and be more of that coach or develop that inner coach for ourselves. So you can get it on Amazon. Um, half of the profits go to um, the organization Active Minds, which is a organization that um, uh, focuses on prevention of suicide in uh, teens and young Not adults. That. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really amazing organization. And yes, I mean, it's, of course, I would love your support and they would love your support. And also I think you'll get a lot out of it. It's just a very easy read and just nice little reminders because we are so inundated, as I said earlier, with all of these messages that, like, we're not enough or we need to buy this thing. We're failing in somewhere. If our life doesn't look like that, like we screwed up. And part of our work, you know, our healing work, our spiritual work is to read stuff like this or to have reminders every day that tell us that what we're surrounded by, what we see on Instagram and TikTok and, you know, the ads on our TV or whatever, that's not real, you know, and that's an unrealistic expectation. And if you compare yourself to that, you're going to set up, set yourself up for feeling not enough or for mm -hmm. feeling that shame. So it's really important to surround ourselves by people who remind us that we're lovable in our imperfection, but also, you know, text and, and uh, other resources that remind us that we're very lovable in our imperfection. Yeah, I love that. We'll be sure to link your book and the organization in the show notes. So people can Thank find you. It. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Um, so some, we like to end the episode with two different things. So the first thing would be, is there a mantra or an affirmation that you're currently living by right now? Um, yes, I would say the affirmation I've been living by for the past few years, actually, um, is just everything is unfolding as it should. And so, uh, because for me, like, you know, I look back on my life and, and I imagine many listeners can relate to this. I look back on my life and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, as I said, this is not at all how I expected it would play out. And I, and I love it. It's, it's beautiful and it's challenging and it's incredible and it's entertaining and it's funny and it's painful and it's all these things. And I wouldn't want it any other way, but like there are just so many inflection points along the way in my life where I would have seen something as being such a catastrophe or such a negative thing. Like, why is this happening? This is so hard. And now I look back on it and I just chuckle. I'm like, of course, it, it just unfolded perfectly. That had to happen for me to get here. I wouldn't be in New York City, like doing what I absolutely love if it wasn't for the fact that I 
couldn't get a job after my master's and had to take a job at a yoga studio, like cleaning mats for $12 an hour. Like that somehow kind of connected me. And that's a story for another time. But like, there are so many things I just look back on and I'm like, wow, like I know everything was perfect. Everything was unfolding as it should. All of the pain, you know, the heartbreak, the eating disorders, like all of that brought me to where I am now. And so, you know, even in this period of my life, and it's been a challenging couple of years, you know, between the pandemic and another heartbreak and, uh, you know, just trusting everything is unfolding as it should. I know it's all going to make sense. It does already make sense, but you know, just trusting. And you're able to help yeah. so many people through your experience. Totally, yeah, totally. Definitely. So grateful for that. So that's my mantra. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You're so welcome. All right. So the last thing that we like to end each episode with is just a fun "Would you rather?" So <laughs> today's is: love Would you that. rather host your own? daytime talk show or would you rather star in a tv series definitely daytime talk show 100 <laughs> percent. yeah i'm with i think just the fact that we have a podcast would go yes and exactly I'm also daytime talk show i think that'd be really fun and i honestly my favorite part about having the podcast is having guests come on and just how totally. much we learn from our guests so i'd have to go as with daytime talk show as well ali yes well, um, I was voted most likely to host the Today Show. You were. In high she was. Yes. That's <laughs> I true. mean, you're pretty much there. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna have to go with the talk show as well. Like you said, I love getting to talk to people of all sorts of backgrounds and um, careers, and it's just so interesting. I feel like every time we sit down to do this podcast, I learn so much. So yes. definitely the talk show. Absolutely. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a great episode. I feel like honestly, like what mm-hmm. Allie and I both needed, which is so weird how uh-huh. that kind of happens every week. It's like whatever we're kind of going through, our guests, it's almost like perfectly aligned with what we need to hear. I love so, that. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all that knowledge with us. I know that it helped us a lot and hopefully it will help a lot of our listeners as well as kind of dealing with their self yes. and their emotions. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thank you so much for connecting with me and for for sharing this with everyone. And it's good reminders for me too. You know, we always have to remind ourselves this stuff. So exactly. So it was a great conversation. I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you, Megan.